0: Yeah, I'm fake Lena because, long story short, I like have a continual battle with my Apple laptop charger. It would not survive this recording. So Lena is graciously offered her laptop for this. So I am now fake Lena, I see. and Lena is fake Ha because she's using my laptop to watch online med ed videos right now. Shout oh. out to online med ed. I still use it as a resident.
1: But anyways, we're in the studio. Not just not really the virtual studio.
0: Yeah, so exciting. And it's been a while since I've been able to be with you, Margot. so I'm yeah, super stoked. To me see you. too. I still love you, Harjeet. We just like have had a lot of studio bonding time already this season. We dev have, but I am so excited for Harjeet and Margot to join me today on this really, really special episode that I've been thinking about and I've been super excited about may is a particularly special month for me and part of it is because it's mother's day and i come from a single parent household so the ladies have a really strong influence over me but then the other thing is may 5th happens to be my mother's birthday
1: Aww. so wow, mama Leigh. i didn't know that happy birthday mama Leigh. So is there a Mother's Day in Vietnamese culture too? Because I know we have Mother's Day here in the U.S. in May and then also in Mexico too. It's like specifically May 10th.
0: Yeah, so I wouldn't say that there's really a Mother's Day in Vietnamese culture, but there is a celebration that I would say is the closest to it is called Le Vu Lan. And basically what that's kind of called is it's held in this month that is pretty like important. We could describe it as like the ghost month. It's the month where like we believe that the world is open to spirits. And part of that holiday is it's a holiday to really honor your parents. So what I would really remember is I would often go to the Buddhist temple during that day and everyone would get to wear a flower pin on them. And that pin would represent if your parents were alive or dead. So if you were wearing a red flower pin, it indicates that both of your parents are alive. If you wore a pink one, one has passed away. If you wore a white one, both have passed. And it was the day of really like honoring and remembering all of our parents. So I would say that's the closest that we have to a form like Mother's or Father's Day.
1: That's really cool. I like the symbolism with the flower.
2: Yeah, that's so beautiful. We actually in Punjabi culture, I don't think have a Mother's or Father's Day specifically. I know a lot of Indian culture, like we're supposed to honor our parents like God. Hmm. Um, so I think that's kind of a recurrent belief we have but specifically in Punjabi or Sikh culture I'm not sure if there's something of that sort.
0: It's like it is really interesting thinking about how different cultures honor our parents and our ancestors and I think all of this then comes like back to the topic that I wanted to talk about for today is that I would love to kind of have a bit of a informal storytelling session where we can share a bit of stories about our mothers and our grandmothers and really reflect on how we're shaped by the narratives of our ancestors. Because I really feel Bundle of Hers is really about narratives and uplifting voices. And what I've been reflecting a lot on my activist work is that I spend a lot of time trying to uplift voices, but I sometimes forget to uplift the voices of the people who have come before me Mm -hmm. in terms of my ancestors and their own experiences. So I would love to take this opportunity to do this with y'all. I love that. And can I start off by sharing something that I saw on
1: TikTok? Because I do all my learning on TikTok, <laughs> whether that's a good thing to admit or bad. But I saw this post the other day that said it was a person who was pregnant with the daughter, and they said that it was cool to think about because the fetus has ovaries. Every egg that that fetus will have or that that person will then have is being carried. you as the mother. So in essence, if you are a person with ovaries, your grandmother effectively also carried you or at least half of you. And so it kind of is a nice symbolism to think about how we are even connected to our grandmothers. When I was thinking about this episode, how that thought came into my mind is something that I'm thinking about a lot too now as a parent myself, how we are connected to our mothers and even a step beyond that, our grandmothers. That is a really like beautiful imagery. Go TikTok. Yeah. (laughs) Or the person who posted it. But that's all I have time for is like TikTok videos these days. Um, The other thing I learned or have been thinking a lot about as a parent too is that when I look at my baby not all the time, but sometimes I have these moments of thinking how amazing it is looking at him. So like literally about one year ago, he was just a couple cells big in utero that he has grown now to almost four month old. I love to think about how I, except for half of his genetic material, have provided him with a lot of the nutrients that his cells needed and like the building blocks. And so how interconnected I am to my kid, but that also made me reflect a lot on how connected I am to my mom in a way that I had never thought about before. And it just is like such a deep connection when I really think about it. And sometimes I do get really sentimental about it because I think my mom had given me so much in ways that I never even was aware of. There's always going to be rough times and generational trauma and ways that our parents were socialized and ultimately raised us in ways that were good and maybe bad, but the the true sacrifice that I think we don't realize until maybe we're a parent our own or we're old enough to be able to consciously reflect back and just what it takes to be a mother and give so much to your kid. So I have been doing a lot of reflecting on the sacrifices and the true passion that I think a mother has for their child and wanting them to be happy and the best for them you know, kind of listening to what you just said and
2: also how what you just said, I'm reminded a lot about the story of my mother and grandmother as well. One thing that really struck me was when you said the choices that like our mothers and grandmothers made are kind of carried on by us and also relates to what Ha said earlier, which is like we don't recognize that they're a part of us, but they kind of are the reason we can even be speaking today on, you know, this mic is we're carrying our ancestors with us. And it reminds me of the story of both my grandmother and mother. I think I've talked about this topic a few times, but... In the specific area that we were in in Punjab, a lot of times people were encouraged not to have daughters and that could come in a lot of different forms and also resulted in a lot of violence. I think it's called female infanticide, basically choosing to. Have an abortion of a girl child so that she's not born because it's seen as a burden, et cetera, et cetera. And there's a lot of cultural reasons why that exists and societal reasons. So I think it's a more complicated picture than just saying that, oh my gosh, all Punjabis don't like girls. And I do want to make that point clear because I don't want this to be a generalization of my culture. But I think that I. I'm reminded that my grandmother chose to keep her daughter and my mother chose to keep her daughter, although my mom had two daughters before me. And even though it's been a recurrent theme that my mom had three daughters and it's caused a lot of emotional, social, even financial toll on her. The important thing to recognize is that she made that choice and she had the strength to choose to keep us all three of us, and chose to kind of in a sense, you know, allow us to be born. And I think that is something that I'm really reminded of around Mother's Day. My relationship with both my mother and grandmother was very complex growing up. I think because... I had a better relationship with my father and grandfather and had a lot of love for them, not realizing that behind the doors, they were enforcing the rules that my mother and grandmother then would enforce on us. And I think as I grew older, I gained a more appreciation for my mother and grandmother, realized that, no, actually... It's not that my mother and grandmother are mean people. It's because they had to deal with a lot and had to enforce these rules because they really had no choice or power in the situation. Um, So I feel like when this conversation comes around now, I think of Mother's Day as very different than when I was younger because I think I have a newfound appreciation for my mother and grandmother. My grandmother actually just passed away in January. And I realized what a powerful woman she was. You know, she raised nine children in a village in India and her husband, my grandfather was a truck driver and he was never home. So she literally like raised all nine of them by herself. And she like cleaned and she cooked and was kind of taking care of the home. And I'm like, wow, she actually did a lot. But I never knew that when I was younger, because all I saw was she was this angry person. And I realized that maybe it's because she was caring so much, so much pain and a lot of unsaid words. So a lot of my, I think, boldness to speak up, I used to be like, oh, I'm like my grandfather because he was president in the Punjab roadways. And I'm like, he's a strong man, and which he was. But I think a lot of it also is my grandmother because she never had the opportunities to speak what she could or wanted to.
0: Thank you so much for sharing that, Harjit. That was very powerful. Um, and it definitely made me think a lot about how I am who I am because of, and also like what Margot mentioned about sacrifices is of the sacrifices that my grandmother and mother have made. And a lot of it that I think about, I think about in terms of using it as a frame with education. So my grandma grew up right after... World War II when a lot of Asia, particularly Southeast Asia, was dealing with the repercussions of everything. And my grandma had to quit school in second grade because she had to go and work as basically a live-in maid to pay off her family debts and so that was a lot of her life and she like worked and essentially in a way like was doing a lot of things for family because when she married my grandfather and then had eight children. A lot of her work was focused on trying to sustain the family. So she was known to sell fish at the local market. So she would wake up way early in the morning just to go fishing, to get crabs, to get all the seafood and to buy it. One of the really striking stories that made me kind of appreciate how much she was willing to risk for her family was there was this story that my mom recently told me when a lot of the bombings were happening in then Saigon, now Ho Chi Minh City, there was like an announcement all throughout the city that you have to stay in shelter, do not go out. Well, my grandma saw that as a good business opportunity. So she went out and sold fish and crabs and all the seafood that she had caught to our local neighbors. And I remember my mom talking about how she walked in and she was so excited because she was able to get like a really good deal and get like a lot of good money to feed the whole family. Because our family was super, like my mom was super impoverished growing up. And Similarly, I think a lot moving on to my mom. She actually became the first woman in our family to be able to go to college. And the way that she described it is that she got it in just by luck. Because in Vietnam, the way that you end up getting to higher education is at the end of high school, you take an exam and where you score in the exam gives you entry into certain schools. And she said that she was like second to last or the last lowest score, but it got her into an economic school. And so she got to do that. But when she came to the U.S. to like immigrate here, hoping for a better life, she essentially had to start all over. She worked a pretty like nice business job in Vietnam. She came here and she was scared of cars because she had never seen a car before. She didn't really speak the language and even as I was growing up, she was still in the process of really learning English as I reflect on it. And she ended up working first like in an industry like doing bookbinding after she had me, she ended up working at a 7-Eleven. And I remember her like telling the story about how because she didn't speak English really well, she was really slow at the 7-Eleven. It was Lunar New Year's Day. And because it was Lunar New Year's, she had brought treats for her coworkers. And at the end of it all, her like manager came to her and said, I'm so sorry. You just don't speak English that well. You're kind of slow. People have been giving complaints. So I have to let you go. She was absolutely heartbroken. I was still an infant at that time. And she made a resolve that she had to go back to school and start all over because in her setting with her not knowing English that well and her being an immigrant, she saw that the only way to be able to provide for me was to redo higher education go to community college and then get a bachelor's degree in business and end up in the job that she's at now, which isn't a fancy job by any means, but it was stable. It gave her the like insurance that she needed. And I still remember she said she absolutely cried when I was five years old and she finally got her own job to get her own insurance and could actually go to the doctor and go to the dentist and get her teeth cleaned. I like think a lot about this because I think about how much my like family has struggled and has had to like dictate a lot of their education and where they leave off or where they start with their education just based off of family members and the people that they have to support and ultimately me And it sometimes puts me like in my place and reminds me, even though, like, in the system that I operate in within like medicine, there's a lot more like capitalistic metrics and a lot of like different goals. And like they tell you what I should become and what I should care about. But thinking about all the struggles that my family went through to just to provide for their loved ones reminds me that all of those things are meaningless. And it gives me the drive and reminds me that this is why I'm in medicine and that I should appreciate that I've gotten this far because that wasn't an opportunity or a choice that my mom and my grandmother had. So for me, like that's why I speak up too, Harjeet. And that's why I am doing this thing because I've been blessed with all of this based on the stories that my mother and my grandmother has lived.
1: I think the beauty of telling these stories of our mothers and our grandmothers and our ancestors helps us come back to the moment and the power that we have now, like both you and Harjeet described in reflecting the stories of the narratives of your um, mothers and grandmothers. And it reminds me of a passage in this book called Against White Feminism by Rafia Zakaria. Um, who's Pakistani. And she says that like, in the US, this idea of white feminism, we think of feminists as doing these radical things. For example, like the young modern woman in Pakistan, who's skateboarding is ideal feminist, right? But really, it's your grandmother selling fish and crabs during this bomb morning, right? And it's your grandmother raising the nine children by herself, Harjeet, that is real feminism. It, it is takes the power and the courage for these women in our lives to have given us the power and the strength that we have today. And so just telling these stories gives them power that maybe they didn't feel or have. We can give them that power and acknowledgement now, which I think is so beautiful. And in the vein of sacrifices and what our grandmother's given us, I'd like to think about my own grandmother and mother's story. My grandmother was born in what was then Czechoslovakia and during World War II, right? And so she had sort of a traumatic childhood in that way where there was a lot of famine and didn't get an education and then sort of had this not arranged marriage, but more or less it was for economic purposes and not always for love. Right. And then had my mom and her sister and the um, Russian government invaded. And forced them out and be made, they effectively became political refugees. And this is where my grandmother had to make the sacrifice of wanting the best and doing the best for her children. She had to leave her mother behind. So when they left, she said goodbye to her mother and never saw her again, which like makes me so sad to think about.
2: I think it's totally understandable why you're so sad, because could you imagine ever seeing your grandmother or mom again? Like you did. You have the choice of seeing them every day.
1: Yeah. So we they effectively gave us the privilege by fighting for us that we now have the power not only to be able to see our own mothers every day, but like to be able to speak up in power and fight for these all these beautiful things that you know, doing your activism and what we do in this podcast and as doctors what we fight for. So, you know, so they moved um and immigrated to the US and my mom was a teenager, an adolescent, um, dropped into American US school and didn't know any English and had to learn. And so she I think became very self- servant and taught herself essentially because her mom didn't know either. My grandmother, um, and was also struggling like your mom had to find a job and to make a means for the family. And then my grandfather was in the picture helping too. So you have to acknowledge that, but. My mom eventually went to college and then went into a PhD program in neuroscience, but she was married to my dad at the time who got matched to Utah. So they were living in Maryland and she was pregnant with me at the time that he matched. And so she essentially had decided to make the sacrifice to quit her PhD program and move out here And then raise me and my sister, and I think she is such an intellectual person, and was so proud of her accomplishments and an ability to get into that PhD program. But ultimately, made the sacrifice to give my sister and me the life that we had. And now, I think it's because of those doors that she opened and the examples that she set that I became a doctor and like fostered my interest in science and my sort of like strong headedness to think like, Hey, I can do anything if I want to. I think it is just really beautiful. The power that can trickle down and that does start outside of us and in our lineage. And it's so powerful to recount these narratives. It's so important to not let them get lost. Um, Not only to know and acknowledge that we carry them in our bodies, but to verbalize and amplify these stories because it's not just ourselves. We didn't get here from nothing.
0: I always like to say because I grew up in a single parent household with also my grandma and my grandpa too. So I have to give the kudos that a lot of me is shaped by my grandfather too. But this is about mother's narratives. But I like have always felt I could do a lot because I saw my mom and my grandma do a lot. And I saw them be able to create their own world and their own safety, even despite the rest of the world pushing against them. Something I always do want to highlight about is that I also think a lot about my family's narratives in the context of the word resiliency because there's a lot of discussion, especially in medicine right now about resiliency. I would say if you wanted Textbook definition of resiliency. Those stories of our mothers and our grandmothers are textbook definitions of it. However, I would always like to push and say that my family didn't have a choice to be like this. You think my grandma wanted to go out while bombs were like potentially being dropped in Ho Chi Minh City to sell fish to her neighbors? I really think that if she had the choice of stability and the ability to live with safety and being ensured that she would have food on the table to feed her eight children, my grandma would choose all of that then being the textbook definition of resiliency. And it's something that I always struggle with and like in trying to honoring their narratives and recognizing their strength, but also acknowledging the fact that they had to be strong because the world didn't let them be anything else.
1: Exactly. We have to recognize that when we talk about resiliency, it's within the lens of the system that is forcing that person or people to be resilient in the first place. And so maybe that's where the conversation needs to shift is how do we change the system so that we can all have that stability and power and privilege. You know, I wonder what type of people my grandmother or
2: mother would have if they had the choices or the stability. I always joke with my mom and I'm like, if you were born in this age and time, you would be exactly like us. And I know you think that we talk back and do what we want and talk a lot. But you are the same because she came to America, started selling ice cream. She owned a business. She paid like the entire down payment for our house. My mom, totally. She's like... Wants to be a working person, right? And it's a joke we have, but it's also to say that if they had those choices, they probably would have been different people. I think for me, it's really important to also acknowledge my sisters, particularly my older sister, Sonu. I think she nurtured and loved me and showed me what safety looks like, you know, was always there for me. I think one thing that my own mother struggled a little bit with was the love part. I think she was there to be the purpose. But I think um, my older sister is the one who taught me like nurturing love from a parent. This is in no way to disrespect my mother, but it's also just to uplift and respect my older sisters and particularly my eldest sister Sonu.
1: And Harjit, I think that nurturing piece that you're talking about is if we think about the historical traumas that all of our grandmothers endured, it maybe didn't leave space and maybe our grandmothers were not afforded the childhoods that we were and develop that socialization or ability to have the nurturing Side of things when they were then parents. It's so beautiful to see, you know, in each generation down when we recount these stories, that it gets better. Um, so, like your sister was very nurturing person for you, and in some ways, your mother probably helped a little bit with that, and then in her mother in that, and so each step back in the lineage, that trauma gets a little bit erased in us, in our generation, and then the next generation. We. Relieve a little bit of the traumas that we're talking about here, A, by talking about them, but B, by making changes and our actions are resistance to the powers that oppressed our grandmothers and our mothers.
2: Totally agree with that, Marco. And I feel like if the circumstances were different for my grandmother and mother, they'd probably give me more of that nurturing side, you know? And it just really shows the power that this, especially this maternal lineage has. Yeah, even thinking about my great grandmother, She, her husband, my great-grandfather died when my grandma was one years old, and she raised four kids as a single mother. So you know, it's kind of cool to know like, man, there was that whole like back and back and front and front. There's like this whole power
0: that we don't really see when we're younger, I think. But like, it's really nice to appreciate now. It's definitely something I hold on to. And I feel that I've been able to understand my family and understand their perspective and their approaches to the world a lot more by understanding their narratives and how the world has shaped them. And also, as we've established, based on what they've passed on to me, how they've shaped the world, too. So with all of that, I feel kind of connected with y'all in a different way when we share stories like this. Me, too. I love learning about your badass grandma and mom, too. Thank you. Um, So, I thank you, the listeners, for listening to us, and I hope you were able to enjoy listening to our mothers' and grandmothers' stories. And I also would like to add, I know that sometimes celebrations of families can be hard for some people, especially when you come from a family that isn't supportive and can be toxic and abusive. So I also want to give people space for that too and for awareness of that. But we hope you enjoyed the episode. Always, as always, listen to us on Spotify, Apple podcast wherever you listen to your podcast check us out on Instagram and we hope to hear from you. Um and join tune us tune in We're next week. So <laughs> and tune in next week um for another riveting episode from the Bundlers. Yay. Bye bye
1: That was amazing. You should have heard my closing yesterday. I rambled for like five minutes and I didn't say anything productive. Yeah <laughs> she just hadn't done a, a
2: closing in a long time.